Welcome to Body Matters Podcast, where we bring to you raw and inspiring content on all things to do with body positivity and eating disorder recovery. But before we begin, I'd like to acknowledge Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people as traditional people and traditional owners of this country. We acknowledge with gratitude First Nations communities for their continuing care and connection to the lands or waters with which they have protected for thousands of years. We pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging and recognise that First Nations sovereignty was never ceded. On this week's episode, I am delighted to be introducing you to our next special guest, recovery coach, advocate and neuro-linguistic programming practitioner, Millie Thomas. Millie so bravely opens up about her lived experience with anorexia nervosa after struggling with the eating disorder for around 15 years. As a lived experienced media spokesperson, Millie shares her story as a way to show and inspire people that no matter how long or hard that you have battled with an eating disorder, that there is always hope for a full recovery. So on that note, please enjoy our lovely guest, Millie. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Millie. It's my absolute pleasure. So nice to be here. Would you be able to provide a little background information about yourself and maybe speak about some things that you like to do to stay well? Absolutely. So um, as you've said, my name is Millie Thomas and I originally um, from Auckland, New Zealand, and um, I grew up there, had an amazing um, a childhood and my early years there. Unfortunately, I developed an eating disorder at the age of 12. So um, for me, I was very much genetically predisposed to having an eating disorder, had all the personality characteristics, and I was then put into an environment that really um, set the scene for my eating disorder to really dig its claws in and take hold. And so I know there was another part to your question, which was how do I stay well? So for me, it's all about spending time by the ocean. So that's really, really important for me. I try and watch the sunrise every morning, um, the waves, the the immensity. There are so many things about the ocean that keep me grounded and uh, give me a lot of strength. So that's definitely something. My afternoon naps are really, really important. I, I definitely need those. And I also find travel is something that fills my heart and soul um, so much. So I definitely try and make sure those things are in my life as much as possible. I love that you've pointed out the importance of traveling and holidays. I think, you know, while not always easy for most, it's something important that people do incorporate as part of their self-care. So... Would you be able to talk a little bit about your story with disordered eating? Yeah. For me, I was put into a private all-girls school and that sort of set the scene for my eating disorder. You know, what we know is that genetics slowed the gun and the environment pulls the trigger. So all the personality characteristics, a high achiever, 
OCD perfectionist type A and unfortunately um, that meant that when I got to year eight um, I was taken out of school for a period of time and we did FBT and um, look unfortunately at the time what uh, people thought was well, if we get some weight on her then she'll be fine but no one helped me to deal with all the, the thoughts and so I thought I sort of had to pretend to be fine went back into school um, throughout my school years absolutely excelled uh, academically and really threw myself into that and tried to be um, parts of all the sports teams and head of the school council and all these things that I thought um, were the right thing to do and never really dealt with my eating disorder and so it continued and continued and I, you know, was living, but I it was in existence, you know, it wasn't really properly living and thriving. I was more a, a surviving, you know, we look at the difference between surviving and thriving. I was very much definitely in survival mode. And unfortunately, um, I thought that I could still absolutely continue like that. Um, and so let it continue to happen. And then when I was in my last year at school, I was asked to go on a Global Young Leaders Conference where I went to um, Washington and New York and was given some amazing opportunities. But when I got on that plane, my eating disorder really dug its claws in. And unfortunately, that meant that I lost a significant amount of weight on that trip. And when I came back, I was 18 and I decided that I could do whatever I wanted and really thought that I was in full control. However, my eating disorder was very much in the driver's seat. So I got a scholarship to university, went and did my business degree, and long story short, continued to excel academically, um, travel the world, pretending that everything was fine when really my life was crumbling because of this raging eating disorder. And so to cut a, a long story short, it basically got to a point where I was being seen as an outpatient um, from the hospital in Auckland and they pulled me and my parents into a room and basically said, um, you know, you are one of the worst cases I've ever seen and we don't see that you will get well and really the only option Whoa. is palliative care. Yes, it was very, very much a woe moment where I, I still remember to this day what the room looked like, what I was wearing and that, that moment that I felt like my hope got ripped away from me. And I had been really trying hard up until that point um, but unfortunately, I hadn't really been getting anywhere. I, I admit it had sort of been, I'd been in a holding pattern, but I'd still been trying and I still had hope that I could get well. In that moment, in that room, when that psychiatrist told me that, I really felt like, well, what's the point in trying? And so unfortunately, that led to a further unraveling and I then um, discharged myself from those services and it got to a point where I turned up at my family GP's office one day and he basically said you know you've got a week maybe two to live and you need to decide what you want to do and I really want to preface this with the fact I've never been suicidal but at that point I did not want to wake up another day living with this beast of an illness in my head where every day felt like torture every moment of every day I was fighting this demon and I just you know I was permanently cold my bones ached it was horrible and I never felt like I had any respite not even in my sleep and the only way that I could ever see being free was to to leave it all behind um and and I I just am so thankful that I found the strength to keep going but basically what happened was that 
it, my mum was due to go to Noosa in the Sunshine Coast in Australia. And it had always been one of my happy places. And she said, well, please, you know, come with me. And I did. Um, and mum fortunately found an amazing woman in Noosa who specialized in neurolinguistic programming, NLP and hypnotherapy. And her name was Silky and Silky really was very instrumental in my recovery. And she looked at the eating disorder in a totally different way to anyone else, um, to it, how anyone else had. And she really empowered me to know that I could change this if I wanted to. And, as hard as it was, again, long story short, I threw myself into recovery, absolutely threw myself into recovery head first. Um, there was nothing else that I focused on. It was just day in and day out commitment to recovery. And in six months, I managed to really claw my life back. And I went back to New Zealand, decided very quickly that wasn't where I wanted to be living and went to uh, California, which is another part of the world that I feel really connected to. I have a lot of beautiful friends over there. And I spent some time just really living and finding myself and, you know, going to cafes that I'd always gone to and looked at the cupcakes whenever eaten them and sat there and just enjoyed and really felt like I was finally thriving. And it was over there when I had this moment where I was um I was journaling in a park and I was watching a mother push a little girl on a swing and she would have been about I think six or seven and she said to her you know I'm not gonna be able to swing you anymore soon because you're getting too fat and I just had this visceral reaction in the pit of my stomach like you can't say that and just so worried about what trajectory that could send this little girl on and people have been saying you should write about your story and I hadn't because I didn't really feel like I had anything unique to offer and that night I was so fired up about what I'd heard in that park that I wrote about what it was like to live with anorexia the real raw truth and I just popped it on my Facebook wall because back then and you know 2016 that's what you did and it really resonated with people and I, I went to bed and woke up and hundreds and hundreds of people had liked it Huffington Post wanted to publish it and that was when I realized this was the reason this is the reason I'd struggled so long and so hard was to help other people and so I gave myself 48 hours back in Auckland to pack up my entire life, move to the Sunshine Coast because I decided, you know what, life's too short not to live in your happy place. And I had this dream of starting an eating disorders charity. Within a week of moving there, I had been introduced to an amazing couple, Mark and Gay Forbes, who had already established a parent support group for eating disorders called Ended. And I decided to join forces with them. We were very aligned in our goals and vision and wanting to help people. And so I started um, doing, supporting people who were actually going through it. And then we had the joint vision of establishing Australia's first residential eating disorders facility, which is now um, in Malula Valley here on the Sunshine Coast and now known as Wandi Nerida and operated by the Butterfly Foundation. And so Basically, from then I, I started my private practice, Healed, uh, where I am now helping people around the world as an eating disorder recovery coach. I've trained under Carolyn Costin, and I am also an NLP practitioner. So I feel very lucky that what was such a dark, torturous time of my life, I've been able to turn that around and use that um, to help others. And I really do feel lucky to get up every day and be able to 
absolutely steadfastly say that I am uh, living my purpose. Yeah. You have an amazing story. Um, so thank you for sharing that. But I kind of wanted to speak about the neurolinguistic programming practitioner that you saw, I guess, and what her um, different perspective was that you felt worked for you. Absolutely. So for those people who aren't familiar with NLP and what it actually means, I just want to explain it first so that people get an understanding. So we look at NLP, neurolinguistic programming. So there is a connection between the neurological processes, so the neuro, language, linguistic, and behavioral patterns learned through experience, which is the programming. And, you know, NLP operates on the premise that these can be changed to achieve specific goals in life, like recovering from an eating disorder, right? So, you know, we look at these neural pathways that we have going on in our heads. And the, the reality of it is you've had an eating disorder for any period of time, your eating disorder has, I almost call it like an eating disorder superhighway, and it has created this burrows in your brain. And it's so much easier to get up in the morning and just jump on that superhighway. It's much, much harder to take the bush track on the side of the highway that has once been kind of carved out by someone when they've taken that path. And that's your healthy self. That is your your wise mind, your healthy soul self. People use lots of different expressions for it. But that is you taking control of your recovery. And you've got to take that path over and over again in order to help yourself to create those new neural pathways, right? And so often with NLP, you know, we, we look at using um, your unconscious to help change your conscious mind. So, you know, it is a lot about, we use a lot of metaphors, also looking at the fact that it is about repetition. So I have this thing called Millie's three C's conscious, consistent commitment. Now you think about the fact that your eating disorder is consciously, consistently committed to ruining your life. You've got to be just as constantly, consistently committed to fighting back every moment of every day. And another really, really foundational thing that I credit with really changing my perspective or just making me think that actually maybe I can survive this was Silky said to me, you know, you don't have an eating disorder. An eating disorder is something that you do. It's a behavior that's become a habit and habits can be changed if you really want to. Now that for me was this big aha moment. I was like, she is so right. These are behaviors that I have chosen to do over and over again, and they have become habits. So therefore, if I consciously, consistently commit to breaking those habits, I can. Now, some people will say to me, and clients say it all the time, but I don't have a choice. You do. Anybody out there listening today who's going, but I don't have a choice. You absolutely do. Your eating disorder is not a physical being that's tying you down. It's not making you purge. It's not making you exercise. It's not making you restrict. You can stand there in that moment and choose to make a decision that's in line with your values and in line with your healthy self. 
And I think people need to remember that more often, that you always have a choice. Yes, definitely. I love that. I love the empowering the self part of that. Mm. So then what would you say are some of the key components that you think were the base of your recovery? So definitely, as I've said, the the, the idea that I, I held the power and and that's I needed to really harness that in order to be able to to take that leap and, and move move forward and move on. And reminding myself that it was that equal and opposite force against the eating disorder. And it, it, it doesn't matter how little the behavior was that I was engaging in, whether it was, I'm just going to leave a little bit in my bowl or I'm just going to do this behavior. It's like, and it doesn't really matter because it's, I won't do it tomorrow. But it's like, it does matter. Every single thing that you do adds up, right? So you think of this analogy, you've got two bonfires going. It's like, are you throwing logs on the bonfire of your eating disorder self or are you throwing logs on the bonfire of your healthy self? So really understanding that it takes such commitment to really, really get over your eating disorder. Also, for me, I would always been so petrified of what life would look like without my eating disorder. My eating disorder had become such a part of my identity, you know. It, it, but what you've got to remember is it is only a part of your journey. You know, it's not it's not your identity. It's not who you are as a person. It felt like that at the time, but it's only part of your journey. And I think for me, not knowing how I was going to look, how my life was going to look, how I was going to feel, all of these things, I felt so out of control. And being in my eating disorder felt in control. Well, what I want to remind people out there today who are listening is that it's a perceived sense of control. So when your eating disorder is in the driver's seat, you are locked in the car boot. And the process of recovery is you getting out of that car boot into the back passenger seat, eventually into the front passenger seat, and then eventually taking the wheel from your eating disorder. And that is you actually getting back in control. But the unfortunate thing about it is it feels like you're out of control in the process of doing that. But it's really is you getting back in that driver's seat. And to me, it always felt like jumping off a bit of a cliff, you know, into this deep, dark abyss. And I chose to change that narrative, change that perspective and look at it differently. And instead, look at it like I was leaping into a blank canvas, a blank canvas of life that I could splash brightly colored paint all over in whichever way that I wanted to. You know, I had the opportunity to completely reinvent myself. And I think I like to look at the eating disorder as something that also gives us gifts. Yes, it takes a lot away from us, but I think there is always a gift in the struggle and the battle and what we learn about ourselves. And so one of the gifts of the eating disorder for me was, I was able to just go, you know, who am I? What do I want to do? Whereas I, I don't know, but if I'd never gotten an eating disorder, would I be in a soulless job that I wasn't enjoying? Would I still be living somewhere that I didn't really enjoy living because I felt like it's just what I had to do? Instead, I went through this, you know, thing that nearly very took my life from me, but it also gave me life. It gave me this life of my dreams that I now have. And I feel very grateful for that. So I think a lot of it, was perspective shifts and just also coming face to face with the reality that 
you have to go through it to get out of it, right? It's like that bear hunt book. You can't go over it. You can't go under it. You have to go through it. You have to sit with the feelings. You have to feel the feelings. And yes, it starts to feel worse before it gets better. You know, it feels harder before it gets easier. And I think that's one of the hardest things. But if you stay on track and you keep pushing forward, you can get out the other side. Yes. And just to show people the magnitude of your journey, how long would you say that you were experiencing anorexia nervosa? 15 years. 15 very long, torturous years of my life. Um, yeah, it was it was long and it was hard. And but and that's one of the reasons I'm such a big believer in the fact that you can fully recover no matter how long or how hard you've had it. So many people said to me, oh, once you've had it for 10 years like this, just never, you'll never get rid of those thoughts. You'll just have to learn to manage them for the rest of your life. And that's just absolutely not the case at all. doesn't matter how long you've had it. You can be fully recovered if you really want it and you go in for it and you prioritize it above all else. Yes, definitely. And you spoke a little bit about sitting with the thoughts and feelings. Did you ever find where your eating disorder was stemming from? So I think it was a number of things. I felt very insecure when I started at the new school. I also had uh, a friendship um, with someone who at the time I didn't realize was quite manipulative. Um, and she made me feel um, like I was somehow inadequate and didn't quite measure up. So in my mind, I felt like losing a little bit of weight would would help would help that. And I think because as I've said earlier, I was predisposed, um, it, it, the, the eating disorder just dug its claws in almost immediately. And so I believe that that was one of the things that really was the biggest contributing factor to my eating disorder being set off, possibly where there were other things, you know, earlier on um, that may have contributed. But, you know, I think one of the things is you never quite know. And I, one of the important things I want people to know, though, is you don't have to know exactly what started your eating disorder. You don't ever actually have to, that is not a prerequisite for recovery. Because I think some people think, well, until if I don't know the absolute root cause for certain, then I will never be able to get well. That's not true. You can get well, even if you don't know exactly what triggered off your eating disorder. Yes, I love that. So then I guess what is kind of your main why? I mean, you probably have a lot of whys as to why you stay committed to recovery. Well, because life's so amazing. There's no way I would ever go back to my eating disorder. I mean, life being free is, I mean, words cannot accurately describe how amazing it is. I still am grateful for it and pinch myself every single day. And I don't say that lightly. I mean, I've fully recovered now for seven years and I just don't take a moment of this life of freedom for granted. And what I often say to people is I have never met anyone who has fully recovered from their eating disorder who regrets it because it's worth all the torment and all the pain. And if it wasn't worth it, I wouldn't be doing the work that I'm doing now. You know, um, you have the ability to do what you want to do when you want to do it. You don't have incessant thoughts in your mind and you have the ability to reach your true potential and have wonderful, uh, fulfilling relationships. 
do work that makes your heart and soul sing. Live your life exactly how you want it, not according to an eating disorder's rules. That is beautiful, Millie. So I see that you were battling with an eating disorder for so many years. What does it mean to you to be able to support um, people who are struggling with disordered eating? So for me, I felt really, really strongly that I wanted to give back. I had been really let down by the system. Um, I, you know, had gone through various treatment professionals, various types of treatment, none of which really took into consideration my unique set of circumstances um, and, and what was going on for me. It was almost like, okay, you have anorexia, you're in this box, therefore we do this treatment. Oh, it doesn't work. Oh, well, we'll do it again. It doesn't work. Oh, well, we'll give it another go. And I wanted to be able to provide something, a different type of support. And also I felt like no one ever understood what was going on in my head. No one. They all said, like, I understand that must be really hard for you. And I would sit there and go, you've got no idea. You have no idea what it's like to wake up every single morning and have to come face to face with this evil devil who is literally totally committed to trying to eventually kill you. And I think for me, being able to connect with my clients on that level and be able to really truly implicitly understand what's going on for them and how torturous it is and how hard it is to do what other people just take for granted that they do on a daily basis. You know, it is so hard for anybody who hasn't had an eating disorder to understand it. And so I wanted to be able to use that. I felt like it was a bit of a gift that I had and I didn't want any anyone else to be told that they would never recover that there was no hope because I just thought that that was the most barbaric way to treat anybody to tell them that there is no hope and so I wanted to be that hope I wanted to be able to walk alongside people in their journey and you know hold that hope for them when they were feeling hopeless and be that little shining light to keep them going in their darkest moments. And so for me, it, it just became very, very crystal clear that that was the reason I'd struggled so long and so hard was to be able to give back. That was beautiful, Millie. So then what is a recovery coach for anyone who doesn't know what a recovery coach is um, and what is their role? So a recovery coach, we work as part of uh, a client's multidisciplinary team. So GP, psychologist, um, dietitian, psychiatrist, whoever else is involved. And we are there not only in, you know, your 3.30 on a Wednesday session, but we are there during each day in those really hard moments. What we know is most of eating disorder recovery happens outside of the treatment room. And so we are there to help our clients at meal times. We are there when they're struggling because they've tried to put on a dress to go out and it doesn't fit anymore. We're there when they're feeling hungry, but they've already eaten everything on their meal plan, so they're freaking out. So my clients can text me or voice message me um, anytime that they need to, and I can help them with that really practical support. Um, and you know, also grocery shopping, um, meal planning, 
those sorts of things, doing a complete wardrobe overhaul and clear out. So it's the real practical stuff. And, you know, it, it's definitely, we love working with amazing teams of clinicians and basically going, okay, these are the goals. Awesome. Let's, let's help our clients to achieve them. And so it might be that the dietitian has set a goal of, right, you're going to have um, a breakfast, lunch, and a dinner out at a restaurant this week. And so we're there helping clients with, okay, this is the menu, right? Let's ha- let's choose together what you might have. Um, we're there in the aftermath of the guilt. And so I really, I say to people, I practice in the way that I would have loved to have had someone by my side. So I'm always thinking what would have been most helpful when I was in that same situation that my client's experiencing, or I was in that stage of recovery, what would have been helpful for me at that point in time? So generally I'm able to really give effective support in a timely manner to my clients. Um, Well, that's what I attempt to do anyway. I love that. It's like that extra added care, especially in those moments of panic or anxiety and stress, being able to kind of have someone there to bring you back to your healthy self. Absolutely. It really is about that. It's about perspective. It's about reminding them of their goals, reminding them of their values, bringing them back. I I often say to my clients, I need you to come down out of your head and into your heart. I need you to settle down into your heart for me. Take a deep breath and together we will get through this because so much of when we're in recovery is up in our head, getting down into your heart is so, so important. And sometimes you need that external voice of reassurance and support and that little reminder of what needs to happen. Yes, especially when you're trying to break those habits or what some people like to call like addictive type compulsions. So it's so important to be able to have that support in those moments because, yeah, it can be so severe in what can happen and which choice you make. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're sitting there on the edge of wanting to binge or purge or restrict or whatever it is, you know, to have someone going, no, like that's not a good idea. Remember what it is that you truly want rather than you trying to sit there and fight with your thoughts just on your own. Eventually you'll get to a point where you can do it on your own. You can challenge on your own, but it's really, really helpful to just have a little support along the way in the beginning. Yes. So is there anything else during the eating disorder that you thought you needed throughout your recovery? I would have loved to have had a recovery coach. My mom was amazing. She was very, she was almost like a bit of a substitute recovery coach. Um, I think that would have been really great. It would have also helped to preserve the, mom and I have an amazing relationship now, but it was very hard. It became very codependent. Um, and we we reflect on that now and it really wasn't the healthiest way to do things. Um, and so it would have been lovely to be able to preserve that mother-daughter relationship and for me to have had a coach where I could lean on and, get that reassurance and support in that way. Um, but coaching wasn't a thing back then. So I think for me, that would have been great. I would have also loved to have had an exercise physiologist as well. I think that would have been really, really helpful. Again, it really wasn't back in that, that 
time, it wasn't really something that people spoke about. I mean, even NLP and hypnotherapy, that was not, that was just something mum, bless her heart, in desperation was Googling one night and, and came across it. And so I think now it's wonderful. You know, we're in a space and time with eating disorders where there are so many different things on offer, so many different ways of looking at treating eating disorders and combinations of things and finally we're starting to see um treatment providers actually looking at people as individualized individuals sorry and providing an individualized approach which i think is really really crucial um for effective recovery yes definitely finding the right supports and treatment that really um works for the individual but i guess you were talking a little bit about it before um, but I guess what got you through those stressful, hard times? Definitely the hope that my uh, my family and friends held on to for the fact that I could recover. That was really, really important. And there were many moments where I felt utterly helpless and like I couldn't possibly get through the next hour, let alone the next day. And so that for me was a really, really crucial component. Coming back to the fact that I still felt like there was a little me inside really trying to reconnect back with my inner child and remind myself that I'm here I'm still here this is hard but the essence of me is still here and fighting for her fighting for that little Millie um and and sometimes it was really hard to tap into that and believe that it was still there but I really fought hard to believe to believe that and just the little things that I had around me um for example I covered my full-length mirror in my room with an entire collage of all the wonderful things in life that lay ahead of me once I'd gone through my eating disorder and so things like that were really important I had affirmation cards all around um, just little reminders quotes those sorts of things my list of values what I really valued as a person and how I really wanted to stay true to those values I think having those practical tools there to lean on in recovery was was really really important and for me to uh connecting with nature was a huge one so making myself go outside and just be in the garden or collect autumn leaves or stand on the edge of the ocean and realize that you know in the big scheme of things my problems and the things that made me sort of making me worry about were really infinitesimal um and obviously that didn't suddenly make everything easy but it did definitely help to bring me out of my head and down into my heart and give me little moments of peace in amongst the absolute chaos of recovery. And those little moments were, I was able to string those little moments together and, and keep going, keep fighting. I love that really fighting for yourself and fighting against the eating disorder. Um, so talking about your inner child, I do love inner child work. Do you have anything that you wish you could have told your inner child now? That she's just amazing, perfect, just the way that she is. And she doesn't need to change herself for anybody. And, you know, I think I would just want her to know that she can just be her beautiful unbridled self she doesn't need to temper herself for anyone or change herself she's just she's just wonderful just the way that she is and that you know things are going to be really tough but that she will 100 percent um 
come out the other side and just hold on to hope and strength and know that she's got what it takes to to live the life of freedom that she so deserves. I'm so glad and so happy to see that you've been able to form that relationship and care for um, your inner child. So lastly, do you have any advice for someone who has experienced maybe setbacks in recovery over such a long period and feels like they don't have any hope towards recovery? Absolutely. So I think one of the most important things when we think about setbacks in recovery is that, you know, some people say, oh, it was like ruined it all. Now I'm just back at the beginning again. You're never back at the beginning again, right? So along our recovery, we all learn things. We gain strength and resilience from the many knockbacks, setbacks, relapses, whatever you want to call it, right? And so you're a stronger human um, for going through that. You've learned. We all learn from our mistakes. And so I think that's the most important thing when you're looking at the setbacks and recovery. What can I learn from this? What can I take away from it? Not like, oh shit, this has just happened again, like, and beating yourself up about it. That's not going to get you anywhere. And I think that's important. Be kind to yourself. Absolutely hold yourself accountable and go, hey, that can't happen again if I want to achieve the recovery that I deserve and that I want. However, beating yourself up about it is not going to get you anywhere. Be kind and compassionate to yourself and really take time. And this is the key. Take time to reflect on what could have been done differently and what you can do differently next time in order to prevent the same thing happening again. I also think that it's important to remember that no matter where you're at in recovery, no matter how hard you've been struggling, no matter how many diagnoses you have, no matter how many people have said that you'll never probably get well, you'll just have to manage it. It doesn't matter how long you've had it for. It doesn't matter how hard it's been. What anyone has said to you, you can fully recover. If you want to, you can. And I really firmly believe that and I've seen that happen with clients clients have had eating disorders for over 40 years and get well and live a life of their dreams it is possible and I really want people to know that and and hold on to that and you know look at I guess surrounding yourself with as many positive influences in your life as possible, um, as well as resources, you know, um, great podcasts and um, make sure that most people I'm sure listening will have a social media, um, social media accounts, make sure that the people that you're following do a social media cleanse, make sure that you're following people that you're not comparing yourself to make sure that the people that you're surrounded by and the influences that you're surrounded by are in line with your values and in line with the life that you want to create. Um, there are amazing podcasts out there. There are so many resources out there that you can access for free to keep yourself motivated and help you get back on track. Yes, definitely. Thank you for that. So for anyone who would like to find more information about you, where could they find you? So you can follow me on Instagram at MillieTNZ or at Healed Recovery Coach. You can go to my website, 
www.healed.net.au. I also have just recently started a new podcast called Renourished with another amazing eating disorder recovery coach, Olivia Soha. And so Renourish season one is happening at the moment. So you can access that um, directly via my Instagram. And I also did an amazing three seasons of the End Eating Disorders podcast for Ended. And that's available at www.ended.org.au. So there's three seasons up there uh, for you to listen to. Please make sure that if you want to reach out, you do. Um, my email is millie at healed.net.au. I would love to hear from you or drop into my DMs. Um, it's always wonderful um, to connect with others and I will be able to fill you in more on, I, I also run some support groups and things like that. So definitely if you're interested, don't hesitate to reach out. Yes. Well, thank you so much, Millie, for this interview. It's actually been sensational. And I thank you so much for sharing. My absolute pleasure. Anytime. Well, that's the end of today's episode. Please subscribe, leave us a comment or a review. If you would also like to learn more about Body Matters services, you can check out our website at bodymatters.com.au. Thanks for listening.